0: And welcome to another edition of Book Talk. I'm Stephen Usry, and I'm happy to welcome Brad Taylor back to the program today. Brad is a retired Army Lieutenant Colonel who served in what is popularly known as Delta Force. After his service, he became a thriller author, creating the Pike Logan series. We'll be talking about his brand new one, End of Days, where a member of an international religious charity has gone rogue and is trying to bring about Armageddon. Brad, the end of day starts with a paraglider instructor prepping for a flight in Switzerland, and that seems like a beautiful backdrop for a beautiful day. But since we're in a thriller, things are getting ready to go very wrong.
1: Absolutely. The the biggest problem I had writing this book was COVID. I couldn't travel for this one, so I had to use, luckily only 10% of my book research travel trips actually end up in a book. And so I was digging around, and uh, my wife had actually done that very trip. So I had videos of it and everything else, and so I used it.
0: Beyond the traveling, how has COVID affected you? Do you always draft at home or are you draft on the road while you're researching too? Or how how does that work?
1: It's actually affected me pretty poorly. I don't even have a writing room. People talk about their writing desk. I don't have one. I have a laptop. When I'm writing, wherever I am, I can write. Luckily, it used to be luckily, I could write wherever I am. And so I would pack my laptop up and go to the beach or go to a park or go to a library or go to wherever to write. And then COVID hit and all that was locked down and I was stuck in my house and I, I don't have a place to write in my house. It was kind of painful.
0: So where did you end up setting up shop?
1: On the couch. <laughs> <And> my <laughs> wife got sick of that. <laughs> She's like, you've got to figure something out. You can't sit here in the den all day typing.
0: It comes up in the course of the book, people talking about how COVID lockdowns and restrictions have affected the intel community. What have you noticed when you're talking with your colleagues in the community?
1: Oh, it definitely has. If you're talking about task force, obviously, is a fictional organization, it doesn't really exist, but it plays with the same parameter rules of anybody else who's operating clandestinely. And if you're operating clandestinely, if you wanted to fly overseas at that particular point in time, you had to have official government reason to go. Well, if you're operating for the government, but you're not, you're disavowed from the government, you're undercover, you don't get to fly. It's had huge impacts all over the place. Even just the COVID tests themselves, if you're going through, you know, we're all worried about uh, biometrics or the intelligence community is worried about biometrics because once your fingerprints gets taken in Dubai, you can no longer use that alias anywhere else because Dubai's got your fingerprint. Well, now when you're talking about doing COVID tests and everything else, you've got doctor's notes and all kinds of stuff. Database is getting built against your persona. So yeah, it's a threat.
0: And I would assume that COms communication technology, takes on a lot more significance during this time, so that opens up a lot more avenues in the surveillance in that way.
1: People have been working on that type of—you call them Covecoms. They've been working on clandestine communication, covert communications for years and years and years. But there is no way to beat face-to-face. Uh, I mean, I've done a lot of operations like this where you're trying to control an operation you know, simply through communications, even if it's just cell phone or, or uh, email or whatever— something's going to get lost in translation. And when I decided to write this book, I I mean you have a dilemma. Uh, in fact, uh, we were talking before we came on air about Mark Greene. He was like, I'm not going to use COVID. And I was like, well I think I have to. It's current event and I have to talk about current events. And there's pluses and minuses of COVID. A plus would be, I mean, not to say it's a true plus, but there's surveillance cameras all over the world now, cell phones all over the world. Everybody's wearing a mask and if you put on sunglasses and a hat, nobody you're not going to figure out who that is. The Boston bombing went off and they found those guys based on surveillance footage. Well, if they were all wearing a mask and everybody had on sunglasses, we'd have never found those guys. Um, The minuses are nobody's flying anywhere. And I was like, how am I going to get rid of this? How am I going to do this? Well, I, I found out that Israel has a huge vaccination rate and they were allowed into the EU while America was not. So that's what I decided to fly
0: is the series going in real time or do you have a compressed time for him? And just whatever happens to be the news of the day does find its way in there.
1: No, it it goes in real time to a certain extent. For instance, American trader, my last book, I went to Taiwan, went to Australia, did all the research, had the sight, sound, smells of the battlefield, the culture and all that. And then COVID hit. And I wrote that entire book in COVID, but then I was like, how am I going to write about this now? I mean, if Pike's doing surveillance in the Sydney Harbor, there's only be two people on the street, the target and him. You can't do surveillance that way. How's he gonna fly around when there's no planes flying? So I backtracked it to uh, the time I did the research. And for this one, I looked at it and said, okay, here's what's going on. What do I think is gonna happen in the future as far as COVID goes? And on the one hand, I could have said, January 2021 or 2022, COVID will be gone. So ignore it. But I looked at all the stats and said, no, COVID's still gonna be around. You've gotta address it. I mean, the worst case would be somebody would pick up the book and go, phew, I went through all that. I don't want to read about it. <laughs> best case would be, uh, I mean, not. I mean, obviously, it's not the best case, but best case for the book would be COVID still around. And people are like, yeah, I know exactly what he means. And unfortunately, I was right on my prediction.
0: Well, and in the book, it's not like it's a constant presence. It's just another variable they have to account for in, in all their logistics.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I don't want to make it sound like I was writing a COVID book. That's not the case. It was just something else I had to take into account. And you're you're absolutely right.
0: Did you ever think about just writing a a rom-com with Pike and uh, his lady friend at that time?
1: (laughs) (laughs) My mother-in-law would like that though.
0: (laughs) So as we said, it starts off with a paraglider instructor at the very beginning, and he has a a high dollar client coming in. As I said, things go very wrong.
1: Yeah. The whole book came about I was doing research for Ring of Fire. i come out of Morocco, and uh, had a layover in Rome. And so I became the Great American Tourist and took a Segway tour. And this car came by, and it had diplomatic plates. And the guy, my guide, just said, "Oh, that's one of the Knights of Malta." And I was like, i would never heard of them. Knights of Malta? What's that?" He gave me a quick class on them. They've been around since the Crusades. They they mint their own coins. They have their own stamps. They have their own passports. They have a seat at the UN. They have diplomatic relations with innumerable countries but they own no terrain. And they've been around since you know the 13th century. And I was like, that is fascinating. Sooner or later, I'm going to put them in a book. And then when I got locked down in COVID for this book, I was like, now's the time. I'm putting them in a book.
0: Yeah. They're an organization that has a lot of kind of mystery and conspiracy theories has grown up around them.
1: Yeah, they definitely do. And I tried to be fair to them because I, I don't, you know, I don't believe in any conspiracy theories. There are a ton of them out there though. And so I wanted to make it more of, say, you're going to write about Iran-Contra in the United States. Would you say the entire United States government was corrupt? Or would you say Oliver North did something bad? And that's kind of what I wanted to do. So there's members inside the Knights of Malta. The Knights of Malta do a lot of good work around the world. They're a lay organization that does humanitarian relief all over the world. And so I didn't want to paint them with a broad brush of being evil, like all the conspiracy theories say there are. But I did want to use them as leverage for the bad guy inside it.
0: Did you have any reservations about painting this ostensibly charitable organization as having bad apples that could have a, a terrible effect on the world?
1: I, I did a little bit, but not a whole lot. I mean, they do have a lot of controversy surrounding them. I mean, the last grandmaster got fired. There's all kinds of stuff going on with those guys. So I, I didn't have any reservations. What I wanted to do was make sure at the end of the day, if you finish the book, you said, okay, the Knights of Malta are not the evil people. There was just an evil guy in it. And that's
0: what I set out to do. Was the last head they got fired, was that because of the uh, contraceptive thing yeah, back in it,
1: 2017? Yeah. Yep, that's it.
0: What ends up in this first chapter of the book is a former head of Mossad is assassinated. And this is seen as part of a step of vengeance for the America's killing of Qasem Soleimani, one of the uh, top-ranking military men in Iran.
1: Yeah, exactly. And Katab uh, Hezbollah is the guy that does it. And Katab Hezbollah, we've been tracking for a long, long time. They, In fact, most people don't realize this. Uh, Soleimani made the big news. But the other guy that was in that car and the drone strike was the head of Katab Hezbollah. And not to be confused with Hezbollah proper uh, in Lebanon. It's a whole different thing. It's a militia in Iraq, and they're starting to spread their tentacles. They're inside Syria. We just had a couple of drone strikes in Syria. They tried to kill us with drones, and it's Katab Hezbollah. We just struck a rocket, Katusha rocket facility in Syria, and it's Kitab Hezbollah. They're uh, growing bigger and bigger, and they're under the sway of Iran. And so this guy is saying, you know, I'm going to leverage these guys to do my bidding.
0: Yeah, because Hezbollah just means party of God or party of Allah.
1: Right, absolutely, yeah. But people hear Hezbollah, I've had people, uh, I actually had book reviews that say, you know, Hezbollah's doing this. And I'm like, no, it's not Hezbollah, just because the name Hezbollah is there. That means party of God. So kitab Hezbollah is a militia That's aligned with Hezbollah and aligned with the Quds force in Iran, but it's its own entity, and it's a PMU inside Iraq, and right now, I mean, current press, they just said if America doesn't leave uh, Iran on the second anniversary of the killing of Soleimani, we're going to start taking it to the Americans. I mean, they're a a real presence, and they have no ties to Nasrallah and Hezbollah in Lebanon.
0: I had my own conspiracy theory about the Soleimani hit, and that... It was just like in the midst of the bloody November protests that were happening in Iran in late 2019, and I thought maybe they leaked the intel so that the Americans would strike against Soleimani, and that would deflect the anger of the protests from November of 2019 toward the Americans and away from the Iranian regime.
1: (laughs) I had my own conspiracy theory. When it first happened, I thought there's no way on earth we would actually target that guy. And I thought that we were targeting the head of Katab Hezbollah because Katab Hezbollah are the ones that killed the four contractors inside our base that caused the strike to begin with. And so my first thought was, knowing the security apparatus, we're going to get that guy. Let's get rid of him. And they got rid of him. And then someone said, hey, there's someone else in that car. Who was it? Who? (laughs) And, And we were like, holy moly, we did what? I don't know if that's true or not, but that was my first thought.
0: So, since we have this former major domo of Mossad getting assassinated, Israel's going to want revenge. But why did they go outside their normal channels and for you to bring back fan favorites, Aaron and Shoshana, in their response?
1: Well, there's a lot of hawks in Israel and it's kind of dovetails of real life. And so I was looking at it as in the sense that, uh, okay, these guys are mad about it. They're going to take it to Iran. But there's a subset inside the Mossad that says, I'm not sure this was Iran that did this. There's a lot of weirdo stuff going on here. We, you know, we do have the Katab Hezbollah letter after the guy dies. We do know the guy was a member, of the, the uh, paragliding pilot was a member of Katab Hezbollah, but this doesn't smell right. So they don't have official sanction to investigate because the head of the Mossad itself is saying it's Iran, it's Iran, it's Iran, but there's a subset saying, I'm not sure it is. I want you guys to go figure out what, what's going on here. Is it them or not? And that's how they get energized.
0: It seems in several thrillers I've read that, you know, we have not the obvious choice who may be being used as a patsy for this larger idea behind the scenes. Does that really happen in the intelligence world, or is that just something that we say for thrillers?
1: Uh, It doesn't happen as much as it does in thrillers, I'll tell you that. But there certainly have been plenty of times that groups have been leveraged for operations against United States interests, and they think they're doing the right thing. Yeah, yeah, it's all God and country for me. But they're really being manipulated by another head of state, another foreign state that's trying to cause a problem.
0: What are Aaron and Shoshana's ideas about going on this mission? What is their remit and how do they feel about doing it?
1: They're running their own security company now. Aaron has no illusions about what's going on here. They're going to be used and tossed aside. The reason, the very reason they're hired is because they're expendable and they have plausible deniability. If something goes wrong, the Mossad will say, I don't know who those guys are kind of like Putin does with the Wagner group, you know, in Central African Republic or Syria or anywhere else. When Wagner group guys get killed, everybody says, oh, there's a Wagner group. And he says, I don't know who those guys are. I'm not directing them. And so it gives them some plausible deniability to do it. Well, Aaron and Shoshana say, okay, if you're going to hang me out to dry, I'm going to get my own team. And that's when Pike and uh, Jennifer and the crew come into play. They can't get to the EU because of COVID restrictions, but they can as an Israeli And so part of the contract for working for the Mossad, give me some passports for these guys to operate as Israelis inside the EU.
0: And Shoshana, not only does she have skills, she has a gift.
1: Yeah, she's got a kind of a weirdo gift of being able to sense something that's wrong. And sometimes she's not sure why it is, but she just knows it's bad. She can also sense the good. Sometimes she's not right. When Pike and Jennifer first meet her, she tried to kill Pike. Pike tried to kill her. Since then, they've kind of reconciled, but she has the ability to see things that other people can't.
0: When we get to chapter four, we finally catch up with Pike and Jennifer, and they are prepping for an action that's going to change their lives forever.
1: Yes, they're going to get married. There's a spoiler for everybody listening.
0: (laughs) So how does Pike feel about making things official?
1: Pike's good with it. He's just not good with the giant celebration. He would just soon go to Justice of Peace. But they originally did go to Justice of Peace for Amina. They had to, to adopt Amina, which is a character from another book. In order for uh, her to stay in the United States, she had to have a family and the family had to be married. So they went to Justice of Peace. And Jennifer just is not good with that. She's like, hey, if we're going to be married, we're going to actually do a ceremony. And so she's browbeat uh, Pike into doing a ceremony.
0: But at least with COVID, it's going to keep the number of people who attend the the ceremony down.
1: Yeah, that's a, that was a real restriction when I wrote the book. I checked out Ashley Hall because they, they rented out in the summer times for weddings and they had all these restrictions. And I'm like, okay, I'll make it just like you say.
0: And it's convenient that they invited uh, Aaron and Shoshana to come to the wedding.
1: Well, they, I wrote a short story called The Infiltrator where Pike and Jennifer went to their wedding in Tel Aviv. So that was kind of, you have to come to mine. I went to yours.
0: You haven't had one of those novellas in a little while. What's the reason for that?
1: Main reason is I just didn't have haven't had time. I, I mean, I did exit fee uh, right before uh, American Trader. No, it's right before 100 Killer. You're right. Has been some time, and I'm I am writing a novella for this, which is the honeymoon. Basically, the honeymoon with Pike and Jennifer and Amina.
0: What do you think Pike is going to be like in the future as he ages, slows down? The reaction times are a little bit slower. How do you think he's going to feel about not working in the field anymore?
1: Oh, that's not going to happen. <laughs> I I decided that. So, I mean, I didn't think I'd have one book published, much less 16. And so I never put any thought of that. Eventually, when I got to about book five or six, I'm like, oh, well, you really got to start thinking about this. And, you know, what are you going to do? Because the team members are changing over. The presidential administrations are changing out. Things are happening. And so uh, I saw Robert Crace one time at a conference and I cornered him. He writes the Elvis Cole novels. And the original Elvis Cole novel, I I think it was uh, The Monkey's Raincoat, written in the 80s. Elvis Cole was a uh, Vietnam vet. And uh, back then that worked. Well, he's still writing Elvis Cole novels. And I was like, how's he getting away with this? And so I asked him, I said, what'd you do? And he said, I just made a determination that Elvis Cole's like Superman. He never ages. Everything else will change around him. In the earlier books, he always went to a payphone. Now he's going to computers, but he's not going to age. And so I said, that's what I'm doing.
0: What do the readers think of that?
1: Nobody's complained.
0: What do you mean? (laughs) Well, just, you know, has anyone remarked to you saying, hey, Pike has got all the stamina for a guy that's getting on an age.
1: Yeah, well, I never mention his age anymore. (laughs) As far as I know, he's not getting on an age. He's the same age.
0: In Chapter 5, we meet Garrett, and he is not a good man.
1: You should have met him in Chapter 1. I got cut. Anyway, go ahead.
0: (laughs) What was the reason for cutting Chapter 1?
1: In Chapter 5, you get some flashbacks to his first killing. In Chapter 1, it was the first killing. And uh, my publisher said, that is just too brutal and gory. We don't want to open the book like that. And I'm like, yeah, you do. You want to know this guy's bad. But they won. They got cut. (laughs) So...
0: Well, and it brings up an interesting thing because it talks about how in chapter five, he's killing the third sex worker prostitute he's killed in his current stream killing, but he's killed other people before. And so we've got this divide of, you know, killing in a professional sense and killing for personal and that we do view those things very differently.
1: He's definitely killed in a professional sense. He's a soldier. He's a special forces guy, but he's got some serious conflicted issues after what happened to him in Syria. He doesn't want to kill. He just ends up killing in a rage. And then he starts to enjoy the killing.
0: Yeah, he's he's blacking out after the the kills. Boy, it seems like that would put him in a, a vulnerable position.
1: He realizes that he's he knows in his own heart he's not doing the right thing. So anyway, that's the story on him. He's you know, he had horrific stuff that happened to him in Syria and now it's twisted his brain. He's lost all his neural synapses and he's turned into a serial killer.
0: So it's an interesting contrast to people like Pike and Shoshana and Aaron, who have lived through horrific things, but they have managed not to become damaged by it in that way.
1: Yeah, he's he got some things twisted in his brain where he now fully believes what he's doing. And and when I write an antagonist, I really want everybody to understand, you know, where the guy's coming from. Nobody's born evil. They become evil for whatever reason. I've sat across from plenty of terrorists uh, that have killed multiple people. And when you're talking to them, they're laughing and joking and you're interrogating them there. It's funny and ha ha ha. And I'm like, why is this guy killing everybody? Well, the truth is, he doesn't think he's the bad guy. He thinks I'm the bad guy. He just got caught. It's not like a bank robber who knows he's doing something bad and trying to make money. They think they're doing the right thing. And so I always try to capture that on the page. Like uh, the widow strike, I wrote one of my best antagonists ever was a woman who's called a black widow in, in Chechnya. The government of Chechnya was disappearing a bunch of people for, you know, any reason whatsoever and torturing them. And they left a bunch of widows. The government had killed everybody, killed their family. And the widows ended up saying, okay, well, I'm going to take it to you and start blowing themselves up. And uh, they were incredibly destructive uh, because the females could get into where the males couldn't. And uh, they were really brave and how they blew themselves up. And make no mistake, they're doing bad stuff. But I wanted when you read about the character, you kind of get where she's coming from. Yeah, she's doing some bad stuff but I kind of see what's happening and I kind of want to do that same thing with Garrett.
0: He's a religious man and he has religious aims with his actions that he's taking, but it seems like he's still committing the sin of having pride and arrogance that he is the one that's going to bring about the tribulation.
1: Absolutely. And that's uh, i mean, I did a lot of research on dispensationalism and the greater or lesser degree that some people believe in the prophecies of the Bible and some people believe in it completely. I mean, there's whole religions have been created on dispensationalism, uh, Seventh-day Adventists. I mean, the Branch Davidians in Waco, that's exactly what they believe. And I'm bringing about the tribulations. He has fallen headfirst into that and saying, in the old days, people used to look at that stuff and say, I see the signs. Here's what's coming. When I say old days, I'm talking like even the Civil War. I see the signs in the Civil War, World War One. I. I see the signs in, in World War One. And then about 1940-ish, dispensationalism started saying, instead of just seeing the signs, let's create the signs. All the Jews have to own Israel, which before 1940, everybody was like, that's never going to happen. Well, then it did happen. And then in 1967, they took over Jerusalem and the Temple Mount, but they didn't give the Temple Mount back to, uh, or they didn't seize the Temple Mount. They left it in the control of the Islamic walk of Jordan. And uh, that upset a lot of people like, well, no, 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 we got to build the third temple. We own that thing. It's ours now. And so now they've started saying, we need to create the conditions for this to happen. Instead of just waiting for it to happen, let's start creating it. For instance, there's a cattle uh, rancher. I can't remember if it's Montana or Wyoming. And one of the biblical prophecies is you have to have a red heifer, uh, a purebred red heifer. So it's got red eyes and red snout and red hair and everything's red. And he said, well, hell, I'm a cattle rancher. He went to Israel with a bunch of cows and started breeding them for red heifers. Cause I'm going to create this thing right now. So there are people who are trying to create the tribulations in and of themselves instead of just sitting there looking for the signs.
0: Ignoring the Bible says no one shall know the time or date of when it happens.
1: <laughs> right.
0: And also there's more than a couple of politicians in America whose support of Israel is based on that hope and uh-huh. not because of the belief that Israel deserves to exist.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's what's always fascinated me, is that, you know, that the only reason the evangelicals really support Israel is because they want Israel to own the entire country from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea and the Temple Mount, precisely because they believe it's going to be the second coming of Christ and all the Jews will get eradicated. So I don't know why the, you know Israel's like, yeah, bring it on.
0: Doesn't seem like a great way to base foreign policy on.
1: Yeah.
0: He has a team. Among the Knights of Malta, and despite their names, they are not heroes on the half shell.
1: No, they're Ninja Turtles, because they had to have, they run around with, uh, they're using passports given to them by the Knights of Malta. All the passports have aliases in them, and so just to keep them straight, he said, you're all going to be Ninja Turtles, and each one gets a name from the Ninja Turtles.
0: Can you reveal your call sign when you were working in the field, or is that? My
1: call sign was Woody, and it comes from, uh, I was on a target one time running around and uh, they said I looked like uh, Tom Hanks from Toy Story when I was running <laughs> around Target, and it stuck.
0: Arms and legs flapping around.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And so I became Woody.
0: Did you ever christen someone with a call sign?
1: No, that's uh, the NCOs do that. It's not something that, as an officer, as a commander, you you don't get a chance to do that. You just let them do it.
0: And you got to take it. Yeah. So there is a an Italian officer. Investigating these killings that Garrett is doing. Her name is Leia Viro. And is she Polizia or Carbonari?
1: She's Polizia. She's working with a Carbonari.
0: She is fighting with her own kind of issues of respect amongst the police force, isn't she?
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think that's uh, uh, probably universal around the world, probably a little bit worse in Italy. But uh, yeah, she's trying to prove her way because she's a very young detective in the homicide division, and people are still trying to say, okay, is she worth it or not?
0: It seems people have the biggest toes in those situations and you can't help stepping on them.
1: Yeah, although she proves her worth pretty early on. She knows beyond a shadow of a doubt that she's got a a knack for this. And all she has to do instead of trying to fight them head to head, all she's got to do is just prove her worth.
0: Garrett is combining his personal ideas here with his political and, uh, I guess, religious aims in this. And when he gets American diplomats involved in all this, brings everybody together.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, he wants to start the end of days, which is basically he wants to get the Temple Mount owned by Israel. In order to do that, he's got to cause a war. He wants the fault line to crack. And let's get into the big war, just like everybody says is going to happen. We're going to do that right now. And so in order for him to do that, he's got to kill some high ranking people, both in Israel and in America, to cause them to take the fight to supposedly Qatāb Hezbollah owned by Iran we'll go to fight Iran because you guys are killing our guys and that's not really what's happening.
0: And it is appropriate that Pike gets caught up in this scheme that's based in religious prophecy given his birth name.
1: Yeah, Nephilim. He of course he hates that. He's not he's not a big biblical scholar, but that's definitely the truth. And Shoshana really believes in it because of that. She's like there's some kind of prophecy going on here and he's like, come on.
0: Is he a giant of a man?
1: He's well, no, he's six foot two, 190 pounds, I guess. He's certainly can hold his own.
0: Good size, then. It's been a couple of years since you've been able to go on book tour because of this horrible disease. What does your book tour look like coming up?
1: It's a lot longer than I usually do. When I say longer, usually I do a book tour that's boom, 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 boom for a week. This is going to be about four stops initially after the launch and then an event every two weeks all the way into April for book festivals and things like that. But, you know, I don't know what coronavirus is going to do with those. They, they may end up getting canceled. I don't know for instance, I'm going to be in Memphis. I'm going to be their first live person book signing they've done since coronavirus started.
0: And so how are you approaching this? How are you feeling about this?
1: I feel good. I mean, I'm double vax boosted. I've put in some protocols that you know, basically uh, I'm not going to shake anybody's hands. I'm not going to take pictures with people if you come up to get your book signed, which I'm more than willing to do. I'll have a mask on, you'll have a mask on. And I think that's pretty safe.
0: And so we got to ask you, What's the next book going to be about?
1: I'm writing it right now, actually. We went did a research trip to Croatia right before Omicron hit, luckily. Went all over that country, and uh, I'm doing it right now. It involves uh, some Serbians. The Fall of Afghanistan starts the book off, and it has some ransomware stuff, and Jeff Bezos, and some rocket stuff.
0: (laughs) So this is the second book in a row featuring Croatians.
1: Yeah, well, actually, the truth of the matter is you're the first person to make that connection. (laughs) It's not going to be Croatians in the book, but my original book research trip for the book that's out now was Croatia, obviously, because those guys are there. I couldn't travel because of coronavirus, but I'd already had the whole thing planned out, and so and I've never been to Croatia, and I wanted to go to Croatia, and I knew, I was like, well, you had Croatians in the last book. Okay, I'll make them Serbs in this book, but I'll base it in Croatia, and we went.
0: (laughs) How much is on the Dalmatian coast?
1: Well, we start out Zagreb and went all the way down, hitting every town, all the way down to Dubrovnik. If there's a city on the Dalmatian coast, I hit it.
0: That would be just a, such a beautiful trip on that coastline.
1: It was. The whole country's fabulous. It really was. It's a gorgeous country.
0: Since we've got you on the line and so much is going on over in the Central Asian Republics, what are your thoughts on Kazakhstan and the revolt and the uh, Russian and allied forces coming in to help quell the, the revolt?
1: I think they're going to crush it, obviously. Kazakhstan is still a, you know, dictatorship, no matter what anybody says. And uh, there's two things that are going on. Uh, Number one, the uprising has no leadership. There is no chain of command. There are no demands. It's just a bunch of people uprising, kind of like we saw here. You know, just a bunch of looting and running around mad about something, which means that they're not going to get anything out of that. But two, on the plus side, that's a thorn in his side for Putin. He's got 100,000 troops right on the Crimean border with Ukraine. Now he's going to have to direct his focus over here to quell this thing, because he can't lose the sphere of influence on all of those ring states that are over there. And Kazakhstan, the president of Kazakhstan invited him to come in. He's got a brigade of paratroopers in there right now, shooting the hell out of the protesters. But that's definitely a deterrent to doing in Crimea. He can't do both. So on the plus side, he's not going to invade Ukraine anytime soon. On the bad side, kind of a protest without a purpose. Unlike America, you know, you can protest and rage and do all that stuff and you're not going to get shot. Over there, you protest and rage, they're just gonna shoot you. And that's what they're doing now.
0: Well, Brad, I want to thank you so much again for coming on Book Talk. It's been too long and hopefully it won't be this long again.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's good talking to you.
0: Brad Taylor is the author of End of Days, which is the latest book in the Pike Logan thriller series, and it's published by William Morrow. I'm Stephen Useri. And this is Book Talk. Thank you for joining us today. Book Talk is produced in the studios of FM 89.3 WYPL Memphis, a service of the Memphis Public Library, a division of the City of Memphis. Book Talk is copyrighted by the Memphis Public Library, all rights reserved.